watching or listening to an Old Man Geek production. Welcome to Blurred Vision, a podcast from the suburban diaspora. When we say welcome, we welcome everyone. And by everyone, we mean nerds, blurs, and bleaks, cosplayers, role players, geeks, and freaks, Marvel zombies, and distinguished competitors, Trekkies, Star Warriors, Bat Maniacs, and Spider fans, Warhams, Ubians, A-Falls, adult fans of Legos, Tolkienites, Weeaboos, Supernatural Hunters, Otakus, Eva Geeks, and Bro Stars and Sis Stars, Pokemon Trainers, Potterheads, Bronies, Ubians, Browncoats, and Scoobies, all nerd properties in the game. This is a show hosted by John and Terrence. We are lifelong geeks who happen to be black, but are certainly nerds first and foremost. The Alpha Geek and the Omega Freak. And you're listening to or watching an Old Man Geek production. Welcome to Blurred Vision. The way that this is going to break down is that, you know, we're going to mention what we're up to. News, main topic, the Nope or Dope Award. And, uh... Then we'll wrap it up. So, Terrence, my brother from another mother, what are you up to right now, nerd-wise? Oh, now you're sounding better. Okay. Oh, perfect. I don't know what I did. I don't know what you did either. I haven't moved. Oh, you, you are in the magic spot for your connection. <laughs> that means don't move. <laughs> don't move. So you were? Can you repeat that? You were? You're saying Mile High Con? Yes, Mile High Con was established in 1968. It's a sci-fi literary book. Oh, nice! Did you have anything of your own that you sort of uh, took uh, to sort of pimp your wares <laughs> to try and sell, no. try and hawk? No, I'm still in the scribbling stage yet. I'm not a writer. Still a oh, scribbler. Still <laughs> scribbling. Any other geeky things that you're? freaky mind is up to nothing legal no. oh goodness <laughs> who knows how this uh, transmission is being monitored right that's why we're having all the distortions right <laughs> i'm thinking okay so what am i up to geek wise um i did get a few sets that i have to paint um of a uh, warhammer I play Death Guard pretty much. So um, the Plague Marines. And I kind of realized this today that it seems as though that's a running motif because I play Death Guard and Warhammer. I use a lot of poison types in Pokemon. And I listen to more than my fair share of death metal. And my favorite uh, character in Sandman is Death. (laughs) So I don't know. And I was a sort of a goth new wave kid in the 80s, listening to The Cure and Smiths and Sisters of Mercy. So I don't know uh, that there may be a, a running theme, but I'm thinking so. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I got uh, I think I got Nurgle that I got to paint, um, which is going to be fun. I'm trying to think what else. I've been locked in Baldur's Gate on the computer, Baldur's Gate 3, for a bit. Uh, I knew as soon as I started playing, I would just, hours would go by and I'd be like, oh, that's right. 
I need to actually do something other than play Baldur's Gate 3. So those are the things that are locking me up at the moment. <laughs> you eat? I did eat. Occasionally, I do eat. Uh, oh, that's speaking of which, how did you enjoy uh, Colorado's first snowstorm of the season? I was chilled, not shaken, but chilled. Uh, shaken, not stirred? <laughs> exactly. Right? So... Yeah, I, uh, I, for all of those BIPOC listeners uh, or viewers out there, take your vitamin D. It is very helpful when it comes to seasonal affect disorder. And we get less vitamin D from the sun. So typically in the winter, that's why we get the winter blues sometimes. Take a vitamin D, you know, or get a sun lamp. Well, but I think one's cheaper than the other. It's because we all have that hibernating gene. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the melanin it's the melanin uh so that's it for that i do have there is some news we can talk about uh, just a five points just a handful there was the one that happened weeks ago where phyllis coates the first lois lane died she yes. was like 96 i believe and yes. do you have any fond memories of superman back in the day the the earliest superman the george reeves superman Oh, yeah, that's why I ran home from school to see what I got home and what I would watch in the summer. There you go. Uh, I got into quite a bit of trouble watching that show. I remember Superman flying through a window, which was basically him jumping through the window and uh, catching two bad guys and clanking their heads together. And so I had two friends at school. This is elementary school. I guess it was like second, third grade. And I was like, look what I learned in Superman. And boom. I hit their heads together. I got in quite a bit of trouble. Uh, all the the weaknesses of not having a fully developed frontal lobe. No, let's just say a very rampant imagination because I got in the same trouble in nursing school. I actually got kicked out of nursing school for biting because um, of vampires. Ah, see, so you were biting people because of vampires. I was clanking heads together because of Superman. The It was written in our geek genes early on. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do remember her. And I remember, you know, I think having Lois be this sort of star reporter thing, I didn't, it made it so that I never thought that women were just sort of, you know, housewives. It was like, oh, she was like sort of one of the earliest career women, if you think about it. In, oh, definitely. In, in comics also- and medium. A surgeon of will, uh, not not lending herself. I mean, yeah, she was the standard 30s and 40s and even 50s woman where she wanted at the end of the day somewhere along the line to have a man, as in her case, Superman. But in her wanting of him, she also branched out into having her own independence to be worthy of him. Yeah, well, and she was the most worthy of him, actually. You know, she was independent. She was inquisitive. She was sharp. You know, it was, yeah, she was a damsel in distress, but most of the time she was a damsel in distress trying to, you know, catch a story. And so, you know, and uh, yeah, she didn't need Superman, which is kind of one of the reasons why outside of when she was in super danger, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons why he was really into her, you know, and I, you know, Mm -hmm. what did you think of over? 
through our, our real lives, our mundane lives, if you will. Because if you are a superhero fan, you want a partner in that sense. Sure. You do. You want like you want someone that's an equal. You don't want somebody that's just um, you know, just a face. Nope. So it was good. It was good. Um in terms of I'm trying to think of what else. In terms of marriage, what do you think about Superman and Lois getting married? Did you like that? Not like that? I just figured it was another path in a, a mythology. Hmm. Because you know, Superman is a modern mythology. And so you can have the story where he never has anyone. You can have a story where he does have someone. You have someone a story where he's just slightly stronger than the average person and he dies. Sure. So it's the same thing. You could have him married. You could have it where he can have a kid. You have it where he's so alien he can't even think of having a child, or he even has to wind up carrying the child. Huh. What do you think about Spider-Man and and Mary Jane getting married? That actually leads into another news story. I, in January, there's going to be a new volume of Ultimate Spider-Man where he's married with children when he gets his powers. And it's written by Jonathan Hickman, who I think is great. Hickman did... Excuse me. Hickman did uh, the really good run on Fantastic Four. He did the House of X and the Powers of X, which I thought was really a, a pretty brilliant reinvention of the whole X mythos. And he came mm. up with the Council of Reeds, where it was all these Reed Richards from across the multiverse, which I which think led to the Council of Kings and the Council of, of Ricks. Yep. Yep, sure did. He he got ripped off a few times. You know you're a good comic book writer when you get ripped off a few times. And so far, outside of Alan Moore, I think John Hickman, Jonathan Hickman is getting ripped off quite a bit. Um, but yeah, he has, it's a married Peter Parker. So I, what were you saying about uh, the whole marriage of, did you have an opinion on that? I, have I think some. it would be good. I, I, I think it would be good because it's, it just adds a little twist. Because they've always had the characters they had for the longest time. I mean, from before we were born to, say, 30 years ago, the idea of a superhero being having a family beyond the Fantastic Four, because they were essentially a family at the beginning, was absurd. But now as we fans have grown older, they realize that, well, that's not such a bad thing. They all can't. They all have to have a reason beyond. And I mean, that was the reason why, like, you know, Alan Scott, before they made him gay, as in they did the Earth 2 story in the 52. Mm -hmm. When he was Earth 2, original Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. I like it that he was a family man and that his affair was being a superhero. Hmm. That was you know, his affair. He, I, you know, I don't have any... Plane. Yeah, I don't have any problems with uh, them changing his sexuality particularly, but you're talking about how initially he was sort of a family guy. Well, see, that's it. I didn't, I didn't care that they made the 5200 earth to green lantern gay i couldn't care about that at all but alan scott as a character the idea that he was a suburban family man mm -hmm. and he missed his kid's birthday party to save a plane and that caused the angst between him and his wife that was a whole new dynamic that's never been addressed because hmm. hmm. lois lane you know okay you had to go save no this wife is like what the hell yeah what are you doing you yeah you missed his party and he's like well there were 250 people on the plane i don't care Hmm. What's going to be next week? Right. You know, that that was a different dynamic that was not allowed to go any further when they went and made him gay. They didn't say they could have made a person named Bob or 
parents, you get any idea? Yeah, they, they could have. I, I don't care about that. It's just that that dynamic they shut down when they did that. Hmm. Maybe they needed to probably have him be in a family as a gay man. That might have actually kept that sort of piece of it together. Only if the person, only if the partner got upset the same way. I wouldn't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, in other news, Attack on Titan, uh, the final chapters, part two, I guess they just streamed that little bit. So Attack on Titan is finally coming to a close. I don't know how into that particular anime you The idea you of being are. a vitamin vitamin. Huh? I said the idea of being a, the idea of being a vitamin is not too appealing to me. Uh being a vitamin? <laughs> yeah, I guess because the Titans do mm-hmm. tend to do a chomp chomp. That's true. Yeah. I mean, they I, don't even do a chomp. They just kind of swallow. Yeah, they kind of <laughs> swallow. I thought it was great and then it got really fairly convoluted pretty quickly, which like X-Men level convoluted because <laughs> i was like okay wait they, they and spoilers here spoilers everyone spoilers they them being actually the people fighting the titans were titans themselves i was like what huh huh and so that kind of became a bit strange for me but i do need to catch up on it and finish it up well see that's when they change the story and they go down a different path in the process they lose their way i mean segueing to the x-men who are the real x-men in dc comics if you really think about it who are the x-men in dc comics i don't know uh doom patrol doom patrol is it by the formula of having a mentor and everything and then you could say the titans as far as the air you know the attitude and arrogance to a degree but to me, I would say it was the original Legion of Superheroes all the way up to about the 80s. Oh, because yeah. The powers were always different. That was one of the rules. So you could be a mutant or you could be one of a billion people who had the same power. But you united with them. And you all had the Legion flight ring. <laughs> exactly. Which is kind of handy. Kind of handy. Yeah. I always wanted to get involved with reading the legion of superheroes but the problem with dc and i think this has always been a problem with dc is that how to start it's like when do you start the whole thing with dc oh simple you just choose a, a milestone like in legion you choose when uh lightning lad married his girl you know that, that's just it you just you start there what? You start started a wedding. You started a child's birth. A new volume, maybe. But I mean, yes, a change. So, ladies and gentlemen that are listening or watching, I'm much more of a Marvel zombie, I guess, and you are much more of a the distinguished competition. Correct. Uh, a DC head. Yes. Be so <laughs> that so we're balanced there. Um, so. For me, I, outside of stuff that's post-crisis, um, I don't have a firm handle on a lot of the DC stuff. Like post-crisis, I do. But before post-crisis, uh, before crisis, I should say, uh, it's weak. I mean, I've read some Golden Age issues, of course. And I probably read the Raz Rage. Agul. Uh, Let's pronounce either way. Let's be honest. 
I've always I've always said Ra's Agul, but it's Raish Agul. Like I said, it depends if you're doing the Arabic pronunciation or you're doing the English pronunciation. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess English. <laughs> but uh yeah, so anything post post uh crisis I'm I'm familiar with. Post crisis familiar, like New 52, all the stuff right immediately after the crisis on infinite earths. Um, yeah, familiar. Before that, mm, little spotty, little spotty. So the Legion of Superheroes, you say, is sort of the X Men amalgamation. The yes, X Men, just a, sort a of... wild card, no pun intended, because one of the characters is named Wild Card. Oh, there you go. The wild card of different characters, you know, uh -huh. as in no characters allowed to even have the same powers, even if they think they have the same powers or have a similarity. Hmm. Their bases cannot be the same. So you had mutants, you had uh, wild births, and even genetic alterations. Okay. Well. Uh, but you see, as Marvel goes or DC goes, you know, is one of those, you look at it, the irritation is when they lose the way. Story-wise, when you look at it, you know, like Peter Parker is always supposed to be the person who had problems. He had too many problems. That's why I didn't like him when I was younger. It's mm -hmm. like, I got enough of my own. I don't need any. Sure. But as I get older, I'm like, okay, it's not so bad. It's like more people who are DC are quicker to embrace Marvel than those who are Marvel are quick to embrace DC hmm. in their later years. They're just like, ah, oh. you know, they always, the biggest one they like to say is Superman's OP. Sure. And they totally forget about the Guardian, who if he determines he can win, he will win. Mm -hmm. They forget about Hyperion. They forget about you know Sentry. They forget sure. about these characters who are ungodly more powerful than Superman. Yeah, yeah. Well, and all of the sort of Celestials and the Silver Surfer and some of those guys are at that level of power in Marvel. Mm -hmm. Most of the space guys, Galactus and the Gardener, the Collector, the Watcher, <laughs> all mm -hmm. of those folks tend to be a bit. A, maybe at the same power level as a Superman. And yeah, I think, what was his name? The Guardian from uh, Lalandra's force uh, in the X-Men. She was like the Imperial Guard, I think is what they were called. Um, yeah, the Guardian, that was this, that was their Superman. In yeah, that was their, he was, he was super powerful. I remember uh, an episode, or not episode, but an issue where he was just, you know, taking shots from Colossus like it was nothing. And so, yeah, well, that was our news for, the, we spun out a little bit, but yeah, those are the news bits, but let's keep having the conversation. Cause I think that, uh, this is the blurred vision and it is about all things geeky. I actual, our actual topic today was just how do we come to geekiness and you got a little bit of it and a little bit of, uh, geek history in terms of maybe some of the people that are really important figures in uh, the world of BIPOC geekdom. Uh, this podcast isn't going to only be about or exclusively even about geekdom as it relates to race, um, but we are geeks that happen to be Black and old. We're old. We're plus, fi plus 50. Older, older, yeah. older. for yourself. Yes, right. <laughs> older. 
um, who I'm remember not be old until there's three digits, so it might not make it. Yes, maybe not. <laughs> Older, <laughs> this is true. We remember when uh, comic books uh, marked you as a weirdo. Uh, D and D marked you as a weirdo. Warhammer marked you as a weirdo. Sci-fi marked you as a strange person. All of these things were things that you would like that could get you stuffed in a locker. So if we are. Lucky if you were lucky. And uh, I know there's a lot of fans out there that like Stranger Things. And the thing about Stranger Things... you totally identify with. Yeah, I like Stranger Things. It's fine. But uh, I don't think that the character that happens to be Black in that is entirely representative of the geek experience in the 80s for Blacks. I think that, you know, we have had discussions about this kind of often that, you know, liking geeky stuff in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, people would think that you were not black. You were liking white stuff. It's like, why if do you like that? Lucky. If you were lucky, you know, why do you like that white stuff? You know, and now you could swing a piece of rope and hit a black person that loves anime. So, <laughs> but back then when I was watching Robotech and, you know, Manzinger Z and all that stuff and Go Lion and no, no, that just was not the case that was not what was happening and so our history of being black geeks has been fraught wouldn't you say understatement but there are ironies when sure. i lived in detroit the first black owned tv station channel 62 their first show they had for kids of all things was doctor who with tom baker oh nice because it was cheap <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I happen to be quite the Doctor Who fan. And uh, you know what's interesting? I'm, uh, here's an interesting thing that also relates to uh, geekdom and our history of geekdom and the being a person of color. The new Doctor Who is going to be black. He's going to have our hue. Yes, he is going to have our hue. I have mixed feelings about it. If only because I don't want anytime, you know, you they do sort of a different race for a character, you find out that just how racist the fandom can be. And I kind of Doctor Who fans, Whovians are like the last bastion of fans that I don't know if there's a ton of racists. <laughs> well, if you want to see something interesting, see uh I forgot what her name was, a Missy, as in one of the master forms in uh -huh. the last person two to play the master. Uh -huh. you know, he was hippie, and she was, I think she was white with a Latin name. Hmm. And they had him at a convention. They were walking up an elevator, and there was no way you, you first of all, you would have thought they were a couple, because uh, not so much that they were, you know, I mean, they're just standing beside each other. But I mean, he has a beard and everything looks totally out of character is where I'm going with this. Uh -huh. And that's that's exactly what it should be. As far as being characters in the in the game, in the movie, in the shows, uh -huh. is that the character has nothing to do with who you are, and vice versa, and that should be the same way with race, you know. Yeah, they were just trying to play off of the sinisterness, you know. When they did the master, you know, the twirly mustache, except his was a mustache and beard. So you're the the East Indian um, master, I think, was played by Sach Sasha Dahwan, I believe. Is the pronunciation? Um, I, that I, is his name. I I did like and I, I and Michelle Gomez was the master before that, and I liked both of them. I right. think I don't think that they did right 
by uh the doctor this the last iteration of the doctor that much i didn't think i think they uh sort of it was sh short shrift if that's i always i don't know if i if i'm saying that correctly but it did, didn't seem like they really invested that much into her well, uh, my the, thing the is 13th doctor you know my thing is is like a superman as you know, that's my 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 vibe, my jam. But anyway, they had a Superman encyclopedia, mm -hmm. and it was thinking they had a Wonder Woman when they had a Batman when they they were these thick, almost four hundred page books. Sure, I'm going with it is in they have the same possibility because once you look at those books, it's the same opportunity they have with Doctor Who, and that is we don't throw out our trash, we incorporate it differently. In other words, when they did the Timeless Child. And the master said, it's actually the doctor. Wouldn't it be interesting is that the timelers knew what the master was going to do. And basically, he was actually the timeless child. Hmm. Because they have established canon that, number one, the doctor's father was a time lord. Because mm -hmm. they did that with the TV movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that his mother was half human. I mean, he was half human because of his mother. And so... Between those two things alone, they wouldn't have to throw everything out. And it will also go back to the point of when the first doctor came out that he was from far from the future. And that would explain his mother's connection as why he had to go back to Earth and always has his fondness for Earthlings. Oh, that actually mm -hmm. makes that makes sense because it's always kind of like, why do you always hang out in Britain, doctor? <laughs> Exactly. You know, you know the whole there's a whole planet and there's a whole universe and he goes specifically to one planet and specifically to one island on that planet. <laughs> well, yeah, well it's the same thing like uh Japan and the United States, they got that from us, but Japan is actually better than us when they had the Godzilla movies and they say, Oh my god, it's the end of the world, and there is a American who's white, and then they have some black Africans, and then they even have nowadays as it gets Florida, they have Hindi and some Spanish. Yeah, some, is, yeah, some, some Latinos and uh, Hispanic folks. Yeah, exactly. So they're trying to branch out versus us, we say is the end of the world and it's just still the standard people you see at Burger King. <laughs> you, you know, that just reminds me, I was watching a little blurb. It was uh, uh, Carl Sagan, uh, uh, may space rest his soul. Uh, Carl Sagan was one of his complaints about Star Wars is he said that all of the people in Star Wars, uh, they're all sort of Northern European. He didn't see any people of color in uh, in Star Wars. So he's talking about the first Star Wars. This is right after the right. first Star Wars. And I was right. like, yeah, that that is interesting. And it's that, you know, it's I don't have a problem watching media that doesn't have someone that has our shade that doesn't that isn't a bother to me but i do think that from a storytelling perspective it doesn't completely make sense that in a galaxy that uh everybody's going to look like that they're from a planet that has mostly northern european <laughs> features because you know if you're in the goldie if you're in the goldilocks zone i'm i'm assuming there would be more than a few africas or africa type planets if evolution allowed for it and you would see some maybe darker skinned folk but uh well you have to go back if you think about it what if you, that's the only if you took europe and you make the exact zone of uk europe ireland and just make it like circle the globe and the rest fell in the ocean, then that would be possible on that planet. 
as maybe. a unique moment here. Yeah, Sorry. maybe there's. Yeah, sure. Moment. Maybe if you're you're trying to give them a plausible deniability. But my point with uh, <laughs> the my point with the Thirteenth Doctor, and it was played by uh, Jodie Whittaker. Uh, I just don't think they gave her as much of a chance as they should have. I thought some of the the episode well, there's a lot of factors so number one bbc only reason they keep it around until they linked up with disney was because of the fans because that they they know it's kind of like abc when they got rid of football there was a lot of protests when abc got rid of monday night football sure and and doctor who is almost in the same vernacular but the thing is is that bbc realized like toho realized with Godzilla we just stay in our own little lane. We're not going to make any money. But if we branch out, we will make money. Hence, they're, they didn't give Disney the rights to the doctor, but they gave them a partnership. Hmm. So that's why he's on Disney Plus instead of BBC. Hmm. Well, however we get it, I, I, I always am a fan of more Doctor Who. I've I've liked every... Do- I mean, I, I haven't seen as many Doctors uh, earlier than Baker. Um, but, uh, all of the doctors from Eccleston on, I've watched every single episode multiple times. Uh, so I'm a fan. So we'll, you know, we'll see how the new doctor does, but I, I think they could have maybe had Whitaker, you know, possibly, um, just given it more of a chance. Cause it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of seasons, maybe a season and a half, two seasons, maybe total. Well, that's the way I feel about the doctor in the TV movie. Truly. Mm-hmm. I figured they owe him a, like a season or two of animation. They don't even have to do a full on series. Just do, I don't know, 36 cartoons. Sure. Hour long each. And that'd be just enough to get his character because he's always been willing to come back. And that's the sad part. And that's where it goes back to what I've said to you before about missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. You have a person who's willing and you're saying no, no, no. Getting to your point about him being the first black doctor, that's not quite true. Oh, that's true. That's there's the war, not the war doctor, but that there's the woman that played a doctor. That's, that's right. But there's in that same season, there was another doctor, actually, not that season, the Peter one before that they had a black doctor before Capaldi. No, whip Capaldi, they had a black doctor. Yes, that was yeah, it was the same actress. Same actress no, playing it, it, that was it, talking it, to him. No, it was Dr. Moon. Hmm. Because they I, said that they, that was the last Doctor Who's uh incarnation. In other words, he downloaded his essence to the moon so River wouldn't be alone. Huh. I need to rewatch and that, those. That's, and that's why that and it was played by the guy who plays Zod, who is black. Mm-hmm. In the Krypton TV series. Hmm. Well, I think Peter Capaldi, I think it's Peter Capaldi, right? And right. Uh, I really, uh, he gets slept on a lot as far as uh, what the doctors. Everybody's all about Matt Smith and, uh, and um, oh gosh, I can't believe I actually forgot his name. Um, David. That, David Tennant. Yeah. 10th doctor. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about, but I mean, Capaldi did a great job. But I'm going to steer us back to our original concept of the original topic, which was um, touchstones in black geekdom, because you had a few folks that you think get ignored in the world of 
geeks that are people of color. Well, yeah, because there's first of all, you got to understand the culture of it as blacks. The black culture lures more to spirituality or Christianity. You could say it's because of the slavery history or whatever, but you can say that in which case I'm going with Brother John is you can say one of the apocalyptic fantasy movies. Oh, okay. And so that was a touchstone in Black Geekdom. Yes, it was. Oh, okay. And it just continues with that because it's the same thing about Greg Morse in the Outer Limits episode where he played an engineer, which mm-hmm. again was unheard of during that time period. Well, and, you know, Rod Serling, uh, he actually uh, had always been for civil rights. And I I love Rod Serling, love those old Twilight Zones. And I forgot what the episode is. I'm sure people listening are going to be like, oh, it's this. But I uh, and I a huge Twilight Zone fan. I own it all. But there was uh, the one where they. I believe it was an episode where they lynched a person and the town just gets darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. And I think that the network, the censors really had a, a hard time with it. I think they also had a hard time with uh, another one of his episodes, which caused him to actually start the twilight zone. But folks that are out there definitely send us a, a message on urban Dharma eight, the number eight, or uh, that's a quantum.net or any, what's your email, uh, Terrence? Gregstorm at gmail.com. Yeah. So those uh, send us a, a message just to say, oh, it was this, because I'm just totally having a bit of a brain fart at the moment. Um, but, and I think that those are touchstones in geekdom of. Well, you uh, also forgot about William Marshall. William Marshall, refresh my memory. William Marshall was the king of cartoons in Pee Wee Herman, but he also played Blackula, but he also played uh, Daystrom from Star Trek. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, uh, that's a good one because, again, these are folks that sort of get slept on that, you know, because we were talking before uh, that that, oh, my phone rang. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, we were talking about how everyone talks about Nichelle Nichols and we were kind of like, Oh yeah, but we have to mention Nichelle Nichols. And we do because I mean, I think that's a really important to see yourself in the future is important. And that's what I think Martin Luther King was telling her when he said, you should stick with this show. Well, and also what people don't understand is that a lot of times there is inclusion or how should I say, you know how I am about organic diversity. Mm-hmm. But but there is, well, I won't say organic or even force. Where I'm going with this is specifically Hanna-Barbera. That's mm-hmm. exactly where I'm going. Hanna-Barbera, when they did the Super Friends, mm-hmm. they had Apache Chief for the Native American or sure. Indigenous. They had Black Lightning sure. for the Black character. They had uh, Super Samurai for the Japanese character. Mm-hmm. And they had... Uh, only one that had a good name, I think, was the attack, uh, Aztecian, who was basically Mexican. Okay. All the other names you could consider racist, or you could consider, well, you know. In other words, they weren't trying to be racist, but they were kind of on that edge, you know. Well, they were clumsy about it. And I think that uh, maybe you should tell the listeners your view of organic casting. Maybe explain yourself there. Because I know. 
where, where, what you're mentioning. We've kind of <laughs> been back okay, and forth there, on that one. There, Maybe explain to the list. Diversity. Forced diversity is that we will have a character of a specific sexuality, a specific sex, or a specific race, or even specific beliefs in the storyline in order for us to support it. Mm -hmm. Organic is you go home and the character is a person of color, but you can't tell because they're just the right shade that you don't know until you see their mother and father. Mm -hmm. And it is truly organic. It's not like the Jeffersons where one child was one white and one child was black. Mm -hmm. You know, it's truly a, a blend family or organic, as in like we've discussed before, the Green Lanterns, you can have any sexuality, you can have any history, anything and be a Grand Green Lantern. You just have to have the will. Sure. But a lot of people stumble over that. And then in the guessing, uh, getting off the subject just slightly, people don't recognize time period when they get upset about diversity. You don't recognize time period. Why I say that is because I remember of all things Hal Roach, if you remember Hal Roach. Mm -hmm. The creator of Little Rascals. One of his last interviews was on, of all things, uh, Jay Leno, mm -hmm. Tonight Show. He mm -hmm. was 103. Oh, wow. And he was talking about Buckwheat. Mm -hmm. and, and, he, and Jay Leno was like, he was the most highest paid of the Little Rascals. Yes, he was. He was, he was paid. He was one of the best actors I had. You know, They got upset at me for having a colored person on there. And some people go, what? He said color, but you're not thinking about this man is 103 years old. Sure. And he still had some sort of respect for Buckwheat in the first place. Sure. So to come down on him is what present society is recognized is wrong to themselves. Sure. Well, I think that sometimes people get into these circular firing squads when it comes to BIPOC issues uh, and people of color issues. It's like, uh, you know, I remember there was this gentleman I was speaking to years ago, but this is right around the time when Trump was about to be elected. And he was like, well, what do you think the colored people want? And I was like, well, we, I joked with him. I said, well, first of all, we don't like to be called colored. It's people of color. But now I could have, you know, totally destroyed the man, but I knew that it was a teachable moment. And I think that the problem that people, some of our younger brothers and sisters that are people of color or, uh, you know, our LGBTQIA, uh, the one of the problems some of these folks have is that they're just quick to really roast a person when it's better sometimes just to teach them and bring them to your side. You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Now, it's not about respectability politics or that kind of thing, but it's just about how many enemies do you really want to have? <laughs> and I prefer well, not. <laughs> well, it's not just that. Also, it's like, does it worth it? Yes. And I mean, that really is, does it worth it? Because if, if this person is on the edge of being racist, are you going to push them over to being racist because you got to stand by what you believe? Yeah. And that's the thing is I, I would, I, I tend to think while there were things that happened with the election of Trump that sort of opened up people sort of waving their intolerance flag high. Um, I do think there was a lot of folks that were just sort of on the fence about things and they saw any number of things that pushed them to one side or another. I think that there was a great groundswell of people that were, you know, 
supportive after seeing George Floyd, you know, that immediately became not supportive when maybe some riot happened. And I suppose you could question whether there was genuine support there or not. But, you know, those are, I think that, and maybe this is comes from our history of geekdom is that you, we're typically the only, or not in, until recently, till last probably 10 years or so, we were typically the only black person in the room. Yeah, we and, were the only raisin in the bag of rice. We were. Sure. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I belong to a multiple geek sort of things. I, I'm a big fan of heavy metal, so I'm t- typically one of the only people of color there. I like punk and goth music and, and new wave. So I t- typically was the only person of color there. Now, when I went to hip hop shows, it wasn't like that, of course. But and then, of course, comic conventions and sci fi conventions and gaming conventions, all of those things were things that I typically was alone on. And I think that, you know, after breaking the ice, you get to the geek stuff, you know, you, uh, sometimes people don't know how to speak to you or relate to you. And it's just like, no, we're, we're just people and we like the same thing. And you could reach a place of camaraderie by your geekiness and fandom about a particular thing. And then, you know, and then you could, when stuff came up, you could say, oh, by the way, <laughs> maybe this was a little racist or maybe this was a little intolerant. And then, you know, you breadcrumb them to n- not necessarily being so intolerant. Yes, it's, it's not their their uh, their intention versus actuality. And that's got to be taken into consideration, sure. which some people do not have the patience to do. That's true. And then what they also got to understand is that geekdom is in many ways connection. And, sure. you, and the beauty of it is that you could go to a foreign country and they're literally getting ready to chop off your head. And you can say, is that a Superman tattoo? And go, oh, yeah, it is. He's not going to chop off your head, but the next person will because he don't care. He might he might like Spider-Man. Sure. But it's but about making those connection. connections. Yeah, it's making those exactly. connections. And, you and, know, because how many times are you in line at a convention where you're just like, oh, do you like what, you know, such and such a writer is doing with such and such a character? You know, or, oh, I really like the burn run, but I didn't like the such and such run. Oh, I liked the Miller run or I liked whatever, you know, I liked uh, All-Star Superman uh, written by Grant Morrison, but I didn't like, you know, whatever else, Ordway doing something or, you know, and yeah, I mean, and then you have this shared language that is geek culture. Exactly. Um, and sometimes people sit up here and they take it so far out of context, as I've called them before to you opinion not says and they only explore their opinions they do not care about what is true one way or the other yeah well and, and that's that, that is a hampering i think it's a big hampering there are a couple of other folks that i wanted to mention in terms of touchstones in specifically black geekdom and that's there's a book called invisible men it's the trailblazing artist uh, black artists of comic books it's by ken quattro um, and he goes into some really good folks uh, that I didn't know at the time. There were golden age writers that happened to be black. There was Matt Baker, uh, Elmer Stoner, Oren Evans, E. Sims Campbell. I mean, we know about, you know, Dwayne McDuffie and, and Kyle Baker and Christopher Priest now. But these are old school guys that were drawing. I think uh, Baker 
if you uh, get a chance to check out some of his artwork, he would do stuff like uh, those old uh, Sheena Queen of the Jungle <laughs> Golden Age comic books. And that was Matt Baker. And he was, you know, really talented. And uh, that's but, definitely a touchstone of uh, BIPOC uh, geekdom that gets we over. Would have to, uh, we would have to also take into account the time period again that the reason they're not so much seen is because given we weren't allowed to look at the other side that way during their time period. So, you know, I mean, Sheena is pretty risque for that time period. And he, you know, we saw what happened with Emmett Till. That would not have gone well if they knew that he was black. Well, and I think that maybe even what's, what's interesting is I don't know if he was maybe passing. Um, ladies and gentlemen that don't know what passing is, is that there were some times throughout history when light-skinned people of color would pass for uh you know being of northern european descent um kind of the same thing that some people that were jewish would do by changing their last name that kind of thing so that they could pass you know you could pass into white society i i definitely think that if you look at some of the pictures some of them do look like you know they might have been on a, a lighter shade of black for sure and maybe um because they were behind the scenes you didn't necessarily know you just saw a name maybe you didn't uh didn't they didn't know that they were black i'm gonna have well, to read that book but yeah it's invisible men the trailblazing black artists of comic books uh ken quattro uh, worth checking a lot out. of black black geeks we already pass we pass ourselves when we talk on the phone people don't even know who we are sometimes especially if you don't have a stereotypical black name Sure. I, I, my name being John, it's like, hmm. And my last name being Combs, it's like, that's a British name. It's not from the African Combs. <laughs> it's the British. Exactly. It's the British uh, for ladies and gentlemen that do not know, uh, many African Americans, our last name is the last name of the slave owner. And that means Winfrey, Washington, um, you know, James, LeBron James, all of those were, uh, you know, the, Oh, the slave master's last name. Um, but I think them being behind the scenes might have been, and maybe I think that comic books weren't always thought to be, they uh, might have been thought of as lowbrow. Because, I mean, you have... Well, they were. I mean, because you have a lot of folks that happen to be Jewish that were uh, creators in comic books. You know, uh, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby... Um, you know, so they were lowbrow until World War II. Because during World War II, the soldiers over there were ordering the comic books to have a connection to home. Sure, and so that is what started to make them highbrow. Because not so much during the war, but when they came back, they're still looking for them. And then they start realizing, oh my God, you're Stan Lee, mm -hmm. not Stan. Okay. Well, a Stanley Lieber, I believe, is the his exactly. last name. But you know, right. I mean, just a small uh, list of Jewish uh, cartoonists. You have um, Gene Colan. You have, of course, Art Spiegelman, uh, who wrote Mouse. Al Jaffe, who I love. You know, snappy answers to stupid questions. We dedicated the first episode of That's So Quantum to him and Mel Brooks. Um, Adam Kubert, um, gosh, uh, of course, uh, who else? Um, 
there's a, at least a, a few right there. And of course, you know, Joe Schuster uh, uh, for Superman, you know, and, and Jerome Siegel. So, I mean, right. the people that invented the very first superhero, because they're, you know, it's definitely influenced by pulp comics and that kind of thing, but they were uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters. So, you know, that is a, a big piece of, uh, you know, geekdom as well, is that, uh, is that piece of uh, the Jewish population, our Jewish brothers and sisters uh, creating the comics we love. Correct. So any other names that you want to name drop for touchstones in geekdom of the non-Northern European persuasion? And that's nothing against all of our Northern European descended brothers and sisters. It's just this particular episode is just about some of these touchstones in Black and BIPOC and LGBTQIA uh, geekdom and please ladies and gentlemen send us any other folks that you think we forgot uh to our various emails um but scat anyone in clubbers scatman crothers how is scatman crothers part of the geek world who is the voice of of everything in hannah barbera when they need a black character that's true <laughs> that's true hong hong kong fui the harlem Globetrotters. that's true that's true that's true. Um, uh, Hong Kong Fui, I was into. Uh, man, the oh 70s, my god, Hong Kong Fui is just, just oh my god. Oh my the god. '70s were such <laughs> a, such a important. I, in the '70s, martial arts was so important. Oh yes, so important. And I Hong lost Kong that train. <laughs> was just, just, just he was he he was just the epitome, and that was the thing. The one thing that the Hanna Barbera world never. They were almost in the world of sci-fi because they always had these anamorphic uh, animals walking around, and nobody flinched. Sure, <laughs> sure. Nobody, nobody flinched. We're not talking about Scooby Doo, where he is just a dog. I mean, nobody. Huckleberry Hound, uh, Tennessee Tuxedo. <laughs> nobody. Flinched. Oh, you know if uh, so as one of the as the main writer for uh, That's So Quantum, the show that we're both in. Um, you know, I know that some people are going to say, oh, you know, you're just ripping off uh, uh, Rick and Morty. It's like, no, I'm ripping we're off. Further back. We're, we're, we're <laughs> actually ripping off Peabody and Sherman, which then was in the 1950s, which ripped off was ripped off by Doctor Who, which then was all of it was ripped off from The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. So right. yeah, Rick and Morty's a few uh, ripoffs down the line, Quantum Leap, <laughs> all exactly. of those things. So that's what made when you were talking about Tennessee Tuxedo, that reminded me of uh, Peabody and Sherman. <laughs> well, exactly, and I mean you, and see also what they what most people don't understand in geekdom, we get to see the gentle side of very strong men who who hid their strength. What I mean is. I don't know if it's true because you always hear these rumors, right? Mm -hmm. But Mr. Rogers was like a, a Navy SEAL. Uh, I do know that Don Adams was a Marine DI, drill instructor, which mm -hmm. totally throws you for a loop. You know, Captain Kangaroo actually saved Lee Marvin's butt quite literally during World War II. Oh, wow. So these are things you go, what? Huh? Whoa. Because <laughs> you see, they did such a flip when they got 40 and 50 
versus the others. And like hmm. you said about passing, let's talk about reverse passing. Charles Bronson, who's Hungarian, playing Mexican. Or John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Actually, oh, yes. that'll lead us to, uh, we're, I guess we can wrap up the topic of some touchstone people that you need to remember in geekdom. Um, one of the things I also want to mention, in addition to that book on uh, the invisible blacks from uh, from uh, comic book world, is uh, there's a book called Black Nerd Problems, a bunch of essays by William Evans and Omar Holman. Check that out. But um, the last, our last segment of our first episode, the last segment is uh, Nope and Dope. Something that we think no way and something that's like, no, that was, that was, that was pretty good. That was, a, that was a good thing. So what's your Nope award for this week? We got so many. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> okay, we'll go with the uh, 2600 Atari Pester's Last Stand, Revenge, because it's oh. Revenge game. Oh goodness, yes, that that's uh, super problematic. <laughs> super we're, duper. We're not even going to describe it. We're just going to give it a name and have you go look it up yourself. Let's or don't. <laughs> Let's just say it's an <laughs> X-rated version where Custer's the hero. Um. So and the native woman is the victim. Yes. So what's your dope something that's really good that for the week geek world i'm just saying i i don't i get oh well sony saying they're going to stick to disc in their uh, ps systems you think that's 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 pretty good yeah that is dope because they said they were going to do that no matter what and see what people don't understand i have said this to you before that you know people want to go intangible stream or winning any others mm -hmm. well i like tangible because tangible i don't care about going intangible if i have say sure but we don't have say mm -hmm. you know anybody can jump up and say well i have as many as i want but the moment they decide to remove it i mean we could talk about another nope but there's a question of nope at the same time we have to kind of w wink at it is uh songs of the south because hmm. there are moments that there's that's just history and there are moments that should be there and there are moments you go yeah oh and i do have another nope oh my okay. god i have a note okay so your first nope was custer's last sound your second nope was song of the south oh no no i mean custer's revenge based custer's on revenge that's right yeah custer's revenge and what's your other nope it's a great holiday movie but god this one scene just takes away from it holiday Inn. hmm bean cosby that I'm not familiar with. Explain. He sings a song to honor Abraham Lincoln in blackface. Oh, goodness gracious. And yeah, all the band members are in blackface. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's not uh, too much of a geek property or a geek-related thing. But yeah, that's a that's a solid no. No, no, it's the geek thing from the point of view that the holiday movies come up. And we always, that's the Christmas holiday geekdom is Holiday Inn, Mariah Carey, uh... All, all of this uh, Rudolph movies. Uh huh. Oh yeah, all the Rankin and Bass. Not is it Rankin and Bass? Yeah, yes, those Rankin and Bass. All yeah. of that is, is 
is a different kind of geekdom. That's Christmas geekdom. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, All right. In holiday and is Christmas geekdom. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, sir, I guess that was our first episode. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been wanting to do this for three, four We're years. We're not a thinner chin. Yeah, right. When uh, we were both a lot less gray. Oh yes, and uh, I had more hair. Right, you had more hair. So, forgive some of our sound quality issues. Forgive some of the interruptions. Uh, we'll get the bugs worked out. Thank you for uh, being patient with us. Um, and where can people find you, Terrence? They can email you at drakestorm at gmail dot com. Right. Yes, sir. D-R-A-K-E-S-T-O-R-M at gmail.com. You can uh, email me at urbandharma8. That's U-R-B-A-N-D-H-A-R-M-A, the number eight, at gmail.com. Or you can send me a line at thatsoquantum.net. We'll be premiering our web comedy show, That's So Quantum, uh, November 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November. I think my dog's calling me, so I'm going to wrap it up. So we'll wrap it up with our signature goodbye that we say have been saying for years uh, on the phone. And now you people will be welcome to be exposed. Uh, This is our goodbye greeting for all of you and to each other. Uh, Don't be a stranger. Just be strange. All right. We'll see you in a week. Same here. No problem. Bye. Bye. Well, that was it. Our very first episode of Blurred Vision, a black nerd podcast. We really hope that you enjoyed the show. If you want to reach out to us to hype something that you're doing or into or just have a question or comment, please reach out to us. You can reach Terrence at drakestorm at gmail.com. And you can reach me, John, at urbandharma8 at gmail.com or that's so quantum at gmail.com. Please check out our show, That's So Quantum, uh, which will be on YouTube. And you can also check out, oh, the show that I do with my granddaughter, Convince Me, where she tries to convince me to like or check out something she's into, and I try to do the same. Anyways, Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon.